Parker, you're just kind of gatekeeping a little bit, buddy. Um, oh, am I? You know, you, I'm gatekeeping. Cool. Like, you get it? Yeah. Like, oh no, I get it. you were be... an F1 fan before it was cool to be an F1 fan. I got it. This is the Money Lap. Welcome. I'm Parker Klegerman, uh, joined by Landon Castle. As always, this is our podcast about all motorsports. Um, and it was a big weekend of motorsports across the world, Landon. We start with the PR lap. This is where we get to talk about ourselves, our podcast, and the lovely people out there that write us wonderful reviews about how much they I love I like how we podcast. just fire right off talking about ourselves. I know. Well, it is our own show, so we can just fully uh, stroke our egos. Let's do that. Which is wonderful. Yes. Yeah, so first and foremost, episode five, last week's episode, biggest episode once again on every single metric. So we're growing like a weed, basically twenty to thirty percent every episode. Tell your friends, tell your parents, uh, send it to f- people you don't consider friends. That'd be great. More people listen, the better. Um, we're up to sixty-six reviews on Apple Podcasts, which is pretty good. We're on our way to a hundred. Trying to get to a hundred. Please help us out. You'll hear about the hundredth. The, the word or the, the number 100 in this episode a couple times, considering it's the uh, 100th year since the Le Mans 24 hours started, but it's only the 91st running, so they get to do 100 twice. We want to get to 100 too. Uh, and we only have five star reviews, including this one from Spotify from Potatoes, who said, Great episode again. Like the opinions on this week's events and certain ideas that came up. It's odd to enjoy on a Thursday. But I understand scheduling stuff comes up. Can they use Spotify reviews? So yes, potatoes, we do. And we apologized last week due to travel uh, and races being delayed. We had to put it out a little later than normal. But this one you're listening to will have come out Wednesday morning, which is great. And then we have an Apple review, once again, five stars. And it says, Parker Kligerman and Landon Castle bring their expertise. This podcast covers a wide range of topics, including NASCAR, F1, IndyCar, and more. Kligerman and Castle bring a wealth of knowledge and experience to the table. They're always entertaining and informative. They go on to list many other things, um, including things they like about the podcast, which is that we're knowledgeable, funny, and engaging, which I'm surprised they've been listening to this and got that sort of uh, feedback. But wonderful. Thank you, Brady. What do you do? What do you rate those those reviews? Thanks. I, I... Um, they're pretty good. I think both of them, the first one, uh, potatoes didn't, I, I didn't understand the whole po- uh, Spotify thing. I, I appreciate the review and the question about, um, Thursday. So, you know, hold us accountable. Keep us right. Um, yeah. also the name potatoes. That's pretty awesome. So have I been rating on a 10 scale or a five scale? Five, five star scale. We, re- we rate on a five star as well. Four. Four point four point one stars on that one, and then this other uh, this other <laughs> one is really great from Brady. Well written, long. I just I love it. It's it's in the high fours, especially because it's from Brady. Mm. I think that's actually Tom Brady, the famous. Quarterback. That makes sense. Um. So yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna give Tom Brady a, a a high review. Thank you, Brady, whoever you are. Yeah. Thank you, Tom Brady. Um. You know, we know he has a lot of time on his hands these days, so it's good that he's using that accordingly and, and correctly by listing the money lap and writing reviews. That's wonderful of him. Hey, dude, That's, I have to congratulate you, know, Tom, you, by the way. Tom Brady probably gets his racing news from the Money Lap newsletter. He's probably subscribed to that, he might. the moneylap.com. 
twice a week, three times mm-hmm. a week, because Monday he gets his, his highlight videos. Um, so he can catch up on everything that he w- watched or didn't watch over the weekend. And then Tuesday morning, Thursday morning, 7.30, get your all your motorsports in five minutes less or less from the Money Lab. It's also the best five minutes in motorsports. So it's just wonderful. Oh, congratulations, great. by the way. You were uh, part of a wonderful congratulations to Ryan Blaney for winning a marathon last week. I got hoodwinked on that one. <laughs> so I get a, I get a, uh, a cameo request. And I'm on Cameo, which is, for those of you who don't know, it's like this platform where you can pay celebrities or, you know, I guess you could just say celebrities, but um, obviously they'll let almost anyone on there because I'm on there. But you can pay people (laughs) to make a personalized video. So I get these Cameo requests, and I think that my price is like 30 bucks or something. And I get this request for from a Durrell. It's literally the request is spelled like <laughs> D-U-H or D-A-H. I can't remember. And then hyphen R-E-L-L. So I, don't, I couldn't tell if... Because sometimes people will spell their name phonetically so you say it right. So I didn't know. Like I could tell that it was Daryl, but it didn't know if it was from Durrell. And then it was for Ryan, and it was spelled like R-A-Y-A-N, but then it was pronounced <laughs> Ryan... And so they, <laughs> and it was just this uh, congratulate Ryan on winning um, his marathon this weekend and from his friend Daryl or Dorel, but I didn't know, which obviously <laughs> just completely um, fleeced me into playing into the joke. But <laughs> I did think something was up because I'm like, you have these two weird names. Not, I mean, Daryl, Darrell, and Ryan are not weird names, but it's just the way it was spelled. Both of them were weird. And then the whole <laughs> winning a marathon. I've never gotten a cameo request about someone that's like won a marathon. And I've never even, I mean, I, I know actually a, a really good friend of mine is, is this really well-known um, masters men's marathon runner. So he's not a professional, but he's like an age group marathon runner, but he's like won the Boston marathon, won um, these big marathons and stuff as an age grouper. So I, I, could I can grasp the idea of winning a marathon, but like, I don't know. I just haven't gotten a cameo request from a marathon winner. So, anyways, I did the I did the cameo, and um and yeah, I said Darrell, Daryl. I don't know. I just try to be real on those cameos. They're a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun. And then uh, it was literally like two hours after I sent the request, the this tweet <laughs> gets posted, and it was Daryl Wallace, Bubba Wallace. Now I want to call him Daryl. It was Bubba Wallace. <laughs> playing this prank on really us and Ryan Blaney at the same time. I don't really, I don't know, but it was genius. It was genius social media. You have to go on my Twitter. I think I retweeted it or go on Bubba's Twitter and find it. It's still, it was from a week ago, but it was really good. That was amazing. It was congratulating Ryan Blaney on winning the Coke 600. How about that? Yeah. Well, whoever came up with that genius, whether it was Bubba or his social team, whatever, uh, so funny. And yeah, you, Suarez, so many of you got just completely hoodwinked, which was amazing. Um, and I just, I loved it. I thought it was amazing. I'm also not on Cameo. I've resisted the 900 million times they've reached out to be on Cameo because um, I can't, I don't even think I'd be worth 30 bucks. So I just said, if you want a, if you I, want an engaging so video, I, reach out to me. Yeah, let me. Uh, so I want to talk about that for just a second. Like I, no, you don't have. I time, enjoy sorry. it. I got. I, 
<laughs> well, I I joined Cameo. They reached out to me. They went through this huge effort. I mean, this was several years ago, and I spoke to the people directly, and they kind of like twisted my arm to get me. It just felt weird. It feels weird to like set a price, charge my yep. fans to make a video. Um, but I'll be honest with you, there have been lots of fans that have been happy to pay. I don't really promote it, so I'm not you know really shilling my Cameo because I still feel a little weird about it. But I mean, there's fans that are happy to pay, and they and it's because they you have a message they want to send to their friend or their kid or happy birthday or. And it's actually a lot of fun doing it. And sometimes when I really put some effort into it and put out a good message, they say thanks and they're really grateful or they'll follow up on Twitter and be like, hey, I'm that person that you made a cameo for. Um, so I've <laughs> really enjoyed it. Um, and we did, you know, well, we did use it, when, it, which is nice too. Oh, yeah, that's always the best. On the money lap, if you make money, that's great because <clears> we absolutely don't podcasting. But the... The, the uh, I have used it because when Shannon, my girlfriend, goes over, uh, she works on the Olympics for NBC. She goes overseas. She had like her thirtieth uh, birthday while she was overseas, and so we made a video with these two people from her favorite show, and one of them like went above and beyond and oh, cool. made a whole birthday song, and it was very cool. So I have seen that. All right, here's the deal: if there's people out there that want me to join Cameo as well. Um, <laughs> when we hit a hundred reviews on Apple Podcast, I will join Cameo. <clears throat> So that's my that's my deal. That's my agreement. You're gonna join Cameo on a wow, that just didn't take much there. <laughs> Welcome I to just Cameo, wanna, Parker. I want a hundred I want hundred <laughs> reviews on Apple Podcasts and I'll join Cameo. How about that? Uh, two minutes ago he's is, like, Yeah, you know, Landon, that's good for you and everything, but I'm still uh, I'm still too good for Cameo. Now he's like, I don't know, a couple more reviews I'm in. <laughs> I'm up. cheap. I'm cheap. Wow. <laughs> Sign me up. Um, you know what? Lastly, speaking of a guy well, hold that on, hold on. that hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know on, you want on, to talk on. about what? the race here. No, no, listen, stop for a second. <laughs> I know you want to talk about the race okay. this weekend, but now you literally just made me think of the PGA and Live deal from <laughs> that that got announced this morning because it literally took you one second. Through you were like, you know what? No money, no amount of money is <laughs> is worth me charging my fans for a custom video. Uh uh-uh. uh. I'm too no. I'm if you want a video, then just send me a request for a video. You're yep. like Jay Monahan from from the PGA Tour. <laughs> you know we've been following golf. Face. I don't know. I know that this is a racing podcast. So PGA and golf have announced this merger today, right? Which is totally insane. The professional, the PGA Tour and and Live Golf joining forces, creating this new entity. And and I guess we don't know a whole lot about it yet, and or really what it means for all of us. But it does. I, I guess it does mean we're going to see huge changes in golf, which I'm excited for as a fan. Um, but what's interesting to me is it also means that Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA Tour, has done a complete 180 on his stance on live golf. Because remember last year he said live golf was a threat to the game, distraction to the players. Uh, violated rules, right? He he banned PGA Tour members that participated in live golf. Uh, he said that live golf is, you know, not real golf. It's a gimmick. It's a fad. Well, now, obviously, fast forward today, totally different tune. Um, in their announcement, he said it's an opportunity for the game, attraction to the fans, innovation, praise it, live for creativity, diversity, engagement. Uh, it's the future of golf. We went from not being real golf to now it's the future of golf. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm the, the live golf format to me, 
I, the branding of it and everything is is one thing. The format to me, I was interested. I, I'm not sure. I'm excited about like these guaranteed starting spots, right? Using racing terms, um, I always thought <laughs> that PGA Tour is is pure. Like these players have to to you know play their way in every week, and I felt like it took away motivation when NASCAR had charter system, right? Where the, now the teams don't have to qualify their way in every week anymore. Um, so I like to see that competition and I wanted to see players that play their way in each week. Um, I like to see that do or die attitude. Um, you know what I, what else I need? I need spoilerdiecast.com. That's right. Spoilerdiecast.com is the best place to get your motorsports collectibles online. They have everything you need to satisfy your need for speed. Whether you're a fan of NASCAR, dirt sprint cars, IndyCar, or F1, they have the diecast and apparel you're looking for. And they have over 800 unique products in stock, ready to ship same or next day. Plus, they offer free shipping on orders over $20 and a pre-order system with a $0 down option for diecasts that are not yet available. How cool is that? And if you use our promo code MONEYLAP, you'll get an extra 5% off your order. That's right, 5% off on top of the free shipping. That's a deal you can't beat. So what are you waiting for, Parker? Go to SpoilerDieCast.com and get your motorsports collectibles today. SpoilerDieCast.com, the ultimate destination for racing fans. You got me again. Love Spoiler Diecast. Go check them out. SpoilerDiecast.com. They're awesome. Um, the PGA Tour live deal is wild. How was that transition? That quickest... I, I could... It was incredible. It was good. I, I'll, give it a, I'll give it a three out of five. How about that? Three out of five. You could have been a little smoother, Ooh. but yeah, it, it wasn't was a three as good as the weeks. I want you to keep working at it, though. Okay. So the, the thing with that, just to bring it back to racing a little bit, what's fascinating about them was obviously you had the Saudi live deal comes in, huge amounts of money, offers all these players money. This is not dissimilar to what we saw in the open wheel world, in American open wheel specifically, back in the mid-90s when you had a split between cart and it's what became the It's not similar or not too dissimilar? No, it is. It is similar. It is similar. It's not dissimilar. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's, it was very similar circumstances, except you know that split went on for almost well over a decade, just a couple years over a decade, and it destroyed American open wheel racing in America. And, you know, it was, it has become a cautionary tale to the PGA, to mm. NBA, to the NFL, to NASCAR. I don't think there's a professional sports uh, executive that doesn't know the history of the CART IRL split because it took CART, which at the time in late, in the mid 90s and early 90s was knocking on the door of overtaking Formula One globally. And, turned it into an almost entirely niche racing series, right? Uh, when, it finally, when it finally merged back together, they were you know, almost unrecognizable, what Champ Car was and what IRL was at the time. So, and it's been you know, a, a harder path for IndyCar to get back in the national consciousness ever since. Um, and so you know, this, mm-hmm. people can say what they want about the idea of like they merged really quick and all this stuff and the about face. <sighs> I think it's the best thing for golf. So you got to have just one entity pushing one rock up the hill. Um, whatever happens from here and how the guy, you know, how much more money all the players make is going to be wild. And we can talk about we could go on this for forty five minutes, Landon. I think yeah. you know in terms of what the ramifications of this and how it would apply to racing and what we'd see in racing. But the thing to me is they avoided the 
you know, the, the disaster that could have occurred over the next five, ten years if they let this go on forever. Yep. Well, and I think that, so, to me, one this huge lesson learned by these players and, and the commissioner, I mean, look at, look at how they look, you know, after what the, the stance they were taking last year and, and then completely flipping. Um, to me, it's like a lesson in you just never know and you yep. should probably be truthful more often. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, <laughs> authenticity and honesty is is way more Always valuable wins. in this world than than some you know empty moral stance that obviously Jay Monahan was taking um, a year ago, trying to basically guilt his players into staying on PGA Tour that were being offered all this money. I, I'm not trying to make an endorsement for Live Golf by any means, but no. Um, you know, obviously he, well, he took the, these extreme, you know, what well, I say extreme position, but it's like, he took this, this, this moral position and it, in a less than a year, not only softened up his moral position, but merged the PGA tour with live golf. It's like me and cameo, um, but except a larger it's scale, like, it's <laughs> the same thing. It's really the same thing as you. No, it is the same thing. It, and it, it's, it's the same thing the, the Human rights well, violations and, to, and everything. Yeah, oh gosh, oh gosh. But no, I, I, I do what I'm think. About at this point. What am I saying? No, and I, we don't need to go down those paths of where you know all the the some of the issues out there surrounding the politics surrounding the live side. Um, you know, from a purely sports perspective, some things that did happen. The PGA Tour was forced to massively up their prize money for their players, which. Gen, you, you look at the difference in two years ago, three years ago, what players are making the PGA to now, it's been ginormous, um, which was a great thing for all the players to get their rightful share of putting on the show that they put on for the PGA and from the mm-hmm. rights money. Um, and, you know, they did some other things that are innovative in terms of the events and trying to make them more interesting and younger. And so we'll see what this entails. There's not even a name yet. It's TBD. Um, so it's just so early. But we got to get back to racing. Speaking of which, um, you mentioned it. Obviously, was involved was at racing at Portland this past weekend, where it was P1 in practice, had a gearbox issue in uh, qualifying, ended up qualifying outside the top 10. Changed the gearbox, started the back, went all the way through the field, and found ourselves uh, running second with seven to go, and then a part of some late race restarts where I made a late race last restart move um, that didn't quite pan out. But before, I don't want to discuss that here. I want to do that later in the episode, Landon, and you and I will kind of keep break down my move. And uh, maybe even why I should and shouldn't have made the move I did. So stay tuned for that later in the episode. Let's jump into some big news topics. You mentioned the Money Lap newsletter comes out uh, in your inbox each Monday with the highlights, Tuesdays and Thursdays as well with the best five minutes of motorsports. And one of the coolest things in motorsports happening right now is the Isle of Man TT, which is one of the most insane races still to exist on this planet. Um, where it's at the Isle of Man, which is a small island off of England that I've actually been to. I went to this event. It is a long course where they race super bikes um, through the street. You know, they close off the streets and it's public roads up until 10 a.m. each morning. And then they close the streets and they do these races uh, and they're time trial basically races. Well, um, there's a new record set, lap record. 
this year. Michael Dunlop set a record at 135.531 average mile per hour on the lap. And these laps are like 20 minutes or 30 minutes long. It's nuts. Um, they're doing well over 200 miles an and hour. If you've seen any they're going 200. Yes. They're going 200 I, city streets so with light I poles cannot, beside them. I can't watch these videos. <laughs> like, I... Yeah. They're, seriously, I do, these... these I've, I, I mean, I've watched them. I've enjoyed them, I guess. But, like, it's not... I don't... I. It's one of those things that, like, I don't think I actually like seeing people do this. I love motorsports. I love speed. I'm not... I'm not going to watch a whole lot of Isle of Man. I'm sorry. Well, our producer, it's like, it's our producer Josh, for me. Yeah, our producer He's Josh is the same way right now that he agrees. Yeah. Well, he told me this the other day. He doesn't feel that way. So I went to it. Uh, I just want to say, Michael Dunlop ended up winning in the Superbike Superstocks, and he now has 24 wins, surpassing second place, which is John McGinnis. And he's now right behind Joey Dunlop, who's still in the heat lead with 26 wins. And Joey Dunlop is Michael Dunlop's uncle. So it's a family affair. I thought of the Dunlops basically as like the Earnhardts of the Olive Man TT maybe. But the when I went it's, over there. To me, it's, it's like – go ahead. Well, when I went over there, it's a festival. And you suddenly have 80,000 motorcycle people that descend upon the small little island – off of England, and you know it's a rite of passage. Now, is it wildly dangerous? Yes. When I was there, uh, multiple people died. Just in the two, I was there for like three days for the steel Subaru covering it with Jalopnik back in 2014. Multiple people died, and this is—it was so eerie how it happened because you would be, we were going around to different parts of the racetrack to so you know the race course, not track course, because it's mile, it's forever long, and Subaru was doing a run with this car in between the races. Anyway, you'd be watching these bikes come down and go through a corner ever, and then suddenly there would be no more bikes. And then you'd hear over the PA, all right, that's it for the racing today, you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. We'll resume activities tomorrow at 10 a.m. Thanks for coming. Talk to you later. Boom. Events done for the day. No information. What happened? Someone just died, so they shut it down for the day. The police go up there. They basically make a police crime scene out of it, assess the incident, stop the racing, and then restart the next day. <laughs> it's is, and the, is the this pits, like the is this like the motorsports version of free soloing? Yes, one hundred percent. And the that's a great example. And when you go in the pits, it's like it feels the best way I can explain it. It feels like nineteen seventies Formula One or Le Mans, right? Where there it's real. Like rough, there's you know the the pits are sort of not assembled great. Um, you have some of these factory teams there that are a little nicer than smaller privateer teams, and the riders are sitting there shirtless. You know they're wearing chains around their neck, and they're they have their their like leathers down and smoking cigarettes smoking right cigarette. beside their bike. Yep, and it's like this is this you suddenly feel like you're in the 1970s at Le Mans, and you're just like these guys are total daredevils. They don't care like. This is just what they live for. And, you know, there's a lot of people have asked, is it too dangerous, all this stuff. I saw they've tried to make safety improvements. You know, if you look this year, they had a lot of barriers up that they haven't had in the past in some in bad areas. And so I think there's some things. But at the end of the day, they're going well over 200 miles an hour on motorcycles in city streets, essentially. So it's uh, it's always going to have an air of danger, which is wild. But I think it's yeah. – 
a it's I've always watched it as a, from like being a kid and seeing it on Speed Channel, and I you know I te you know more kudos to uh, Michael Dunlop for setting in this day and age in 2023 the fastest lap ever. So, well, congrats, <laughs> uh, congrats, Michael. Congrats to or Joey, I guess. Um, congrats to no, Michael. everybody that survives. You had it right. And, <laughs> oh, I had it right. Michael's the one with the record. <laughs> Let's move I'm into sorry. Formula yes, One. Michael's the one with the record. Let's move into Formula One. Um, Max Verstappen won again. Surprise. What? <laughs> um, the Mercedes are closing the gap, but uh, they're still half a second off. So, yeah. <laughs> Here, like, here's it, the other part well let me just quickly you mentioned half a second is it really half a second because I get this sense so, that they're not even the Red Bull doesn't even have to push it the Max Verstappen and the Red Bull team don't even have to push right now because they have such an inherent speed advantage in that car Uh, so, I mean, that's a good question. I don't, that's not a position that either of us have probably ever been in our racing careers on a, no, never a, a systemic level. Like, like the, you know, maybe in a single race, um, you've had a car that's so good that you could cruise, but not over the course of a whole season. You've had a car so good that you could cruise just in and out of every race. And I don't, I don't, I'm not going to buy into this theory that they're not pushing it. I'm not gonna. I'm definitely not gonna buy into a theory that that um, that Max is not pushing it. I think that whatever car drive Max is driving, he's driving to 100. percent You have to. That's the only mm -hmm. way to drive. Like that's the only way to race. You can't, especially cars like that with downforce, those tracks. Like it's so challenging. How do you? If honestly, if Max is only racing at 90 percent and he's able to win these poles and win these races at 90 percent effort then he's an even better driver than I thought he was. <laughs> because <laughs> because is it is so hard to not be the second. It's so hard to not. It's so like professional race car driving is so freaking hard to do. And these tracks are so hard to drive. And these cars are so hard to drive. And these competitors and these restarts and these, I mean, they don't have restarts necessarily in Formula 1 like we do, but these standing starts and these, you know, to go through a weekend and to, you know, to tune in your balance of your car. If you're not trying your hardest, if you're not showing up and focused in each one of these sessions, you there is no 90%. It's it's you're you're wrecking or you're you're not driving the car right. You're getting dialed out. You know what I mean? Like the car wouldn't be fast. Does that make sense? I mean, we've yeah. seen this. Yep. Here's a good here's a good example in NASCAR. If <clears throat> a good drivers make teams better, bad drivers make teams worse, right? A bad driver mm -hmm. gets in, they give bad feedback. They don't drive the car to if they're if you're not driving the car to its limit, then your feedback is going to be different. And you're you know you're saying that the car's tight when it's really loose, or you're saying the car's loose when it's really tight, and your team makes adjustments according to what you're saying, and they dial the car out. And then next thing you know, the car and the driver sucks, right? <laughs> yep. And so, anyways, my point is, I, you're not going to convince me that Max is just like at ninety percent effort. 
I don't know if you can convince me that Red Bull's at ninety percent effort. I mean, I don't know. I maybe in in small examples, you could say, hey, they approach these weekends at a hundred percent effort. The car is the best. They're bringing the best car they can bring every single week. He qualifies on the pole. He gets ten laps into this race, and they go, we're half a second faster than the field. Maybe, maybe there's a little bit there this dial I mean he's winning these races by 15 seconds right so mm-hmm. you could tell me the second half of a race Max is maybe being smart or being you know taking less risk but um, I don't know I think that there could be some buffer there and Mercedes looks to me like they're three tenths to half a second off of the Red Bull yep and and it's 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 amazing to see the improvement um that Mercedes made yeah we're seeing 25 second margin of victory i mean that, yeah that's a half a second on a 60 lap race <laughs> um <laughs> it's amazing to see that kind of improvement and to see that kind of response mm-hmm. in a car you know to go from where they were running a couple weeks ago to literally you know second and third um which has probably got Alonso and his group maybe nervous, even though he's, I think Alonzo recently just said that they have some big upgrades coming. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these teams are constantly upgrading to see that big of a jump is, is pretty impressive. And I think that just shows the capability that's in the Mercedes. Um, and that, that maybe the capability that Lewis and George have as drivers, that there's potential there. Yep. So, um, yep. but to find another half a second, that's, that's a long ways to go, especially when it's not yeah. like Red Bull's not doing anything. I mean, <laughs> Red Bull's <can> upgrades <laughs> themselves. It, the only thing that you, the only thing that could be playing out eventually that we haven't seen is that they are going to, you know, they're now going to be losing wind tunnel time as there's this whole, you know, adjustment that happens as you gain success, uh, and with the budget cap and the sort of the, the things they put in, this sort of balance of performance ideas, um, so, or stuff where basically if you're, you know, leading by these points or have this large a, a lead, they start to take away wind tunnel time and teams that are further back get more wind tunnel time so they can catch up. So we'll see. I mean, it's been, um, I think the most interesting thing has been seeing how much closer Mercedes can get. If Aston can keep up a rate of development, that sort of thing. Um, you know, McLaren showed some speed in qualifying this past weekend. They didn't, uh, they had a pretty abysmal start to the race. Um, that set them way back. So they didn't get the results probably they were hoping for with the speed they showed in qualifying, but that was interesting. So we'll see if these sort of budget and balanced performance restrictions in terms of being able to, you know, rate of development actually have an effect. Um, but right now, it does look like Max Verstappen and Red Bull could lock up this championship very early. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. With that, you know, it's not being a. We'll go ahead. One tiny little point here. It, and this is maybe this is just kind of a maybe a baseless claim, but like I don't want to say baseless. This is this is an interesting thought. Um, you know, the, you're, these are the best teams in the series that are going to get you know wind tunnel time cut. And what by what percentage do they get it cut? Like ten percent, twenty percent? I have to look. Like what's yeah? The... I'd have to look it up. Maybe our producer Josh can look it up for us. Um, it's it's a my, system. My point I can't is... remember exactly. Yep. My point is, like, it's only that that kind of stuff is like only gonna make Red Bull more operationally efficient. 
right? When they get mm-hmm. cut, when they get their wind tunnel time cut, then it's only going to make them focus on being more efficient in the wind tunnel, right? And if they lose ten yep. percent of their wind tunnel time, they can be ten percent more efficient. They can gain that time back, right? In the time that yep. they're working in the wind tunnel, those smaller teams have less resources. I mean, they're not small teams by any means. They still have huge budgets, but like they're, you know, they're still going to face a lot of the same challenges It's and, and getting these cuts. I mean, it, it is probably going to hold back Red Bull and whoever else is successful and gets these cuts, but it's, they're just going to become more operationally efficient to be able to adapt to those changes when they gain and lose wind tunnel time. It's going to be hard to um, beat these guys <laughs> for sure. <laughs> That is a Anyways, great point that they interesting they are here. smartest too. They're in this position because they have very smart people who can <clears throat> maybe find ten percent more ability and execution and you know efficiencies. You put it so that'll be interesting. It's the one storyline to follow in Formula One right now, and maybe that begs the question: Is the F one US honeymoon over? Are we on the? Are we seeing the peak, as we like to say? And I, I need to – before I go any further on this and we dive into this, I need to say something real quick because I've gotten some feedback from some of our listeners that believe I don't like Formula One, even though <laughs> Formula One was the thing I found Wait, first in racing. That? Yes, because I, you know, I just find the enthusiasm at the moment a bit odd um, considering – I've been watching Formula One since 2001, 2000, maybe 1999 when I found it. I was around nine years old. Um, mm-hmm. It's not the most compelling racing product. Like, you have to like other things. And so I, I just have always found it, this whole explosion around it, very interesting because I've, I've been like, you know, if you looked at NASCAR in its boom time in the early 2000s, it was because it was a compelling on-track product that made you believe, even if it wasn't true, there was so much parody that on any given day, any car could go win a race, right? It was a very interesting product full of parody, and then it proved to not be the point or the case. You know, super teams rose up. Formula One has always been this way. Um, and it's, you know, for whatever reasons that it grew, whatever, I just found it interesting. So I, I want people to know I love Formula One. I will continue watching whether it's popular or not. I will continue to be excited about it. It was my first love. It's where I wanted to go in racing. And one day I hope to do something for one. I don't know what that'll be, but I'd love to go travel around and follow it around or something like that. So uh, I am a huge F1 fan, but with that, I am realistic. And with this lack of compelling product this last year, this year, is the honeymoon coming to an end? Are we seeing the peak? We saw a decline in TV ratings once again. Um, this past weekend, they were on mm-hmm. ESPN versus ESPN2 compared to last year for the Spanish Grand Prix, and they lost almost 150,000 viewers. Well, what we saw in F1 popularity and what we've been seeing, or what we saw up to this point, I guess, has been mania, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like, I I equate this to what I've learned in the crypto markets, right? Crypto has, goes through mania cycles where it is just, so it's always there, right? And it's, it was, you know, it was in 2012, 13, 14, 15, crypto was growing. And then it goes through a mania cycle where everybody talks about it. And then it has to come off of that mania cycle and it levels off somewhere above where it was before the mania cycle. And I think that's where we're, what we're finding with F1. So to take a maybe a less cynical approach to, well, I mean, I don't know, to say F1 honeymoon is over. It's not even cynical. I think it's just, it just is real right like the u.s went through this 
F1 honeymoon. It went through Mania. It had Netflix. Um, it had $50,000 ticket race packages in Miami or whatever. And we're going to see him <laughs> in, in Vegas. It's going to be huge. And, um, and yeah, it's going to come down off of that mania. It's coming down off of that mania. Uh, but I do think that F1 in the U.S. is going to level off more popular than it was before. It's definitely a net gain. Um, and a lot of these oh, fans yeah. that are into F1 and that we see on social media, they're not race. They're not racing fans, but it's cool they were exposed to racing through F1, and maybe it'll um, branch out on, into other motorsports. So, um, Parker, you're just kind of gatekeeping a little bit, buddy. Um, oh, am I? You know, you, I'm gatekeeping. Cool. Like, you get it? Yeah. Like, oh no, I get it. you were an be... F1 fan before it was cool to be an F1 fan. I got it. <sighs> you know what? What's horrible about um, that is just... now on Twitter, I'm going to be called a gatekeeper. And just be torn apart by the F1 content you, creator class that has risen up in the last year or also, two. Because I know that you were kind of like an emo kid in high school, like I was. Um, yes. Did you also, yeah. you know, not like it when people started liking the same bands that you liked? <laughs> or did you did you like? Um, no, I liked I liked people. Did you not like it? I was a big. Did you not like so any t- of Fall Out Boy's new stuff? You like their old. Oh stuff? yeah, you know. Is that what that, it was? Only old stuff for real hardcore ball <laughs> like fans. Don't new stuff. I uh, stuff on the radio. Yeah, I don't like any of that. <laughs> you should listen to. The I was a big albums. Taking Back Sunday fan. Another mixtape. I was a big Taking Back oh Sunday gosh, fan. Um, unfortunately, they never stuff. Well, they they actually got really popular. They had a they had a moment where they were really popular. I actually got to hang out with them a couple years ago, which was awesome. They they were my ringtone. Number five with the bullet was my ringtone in uh, in high school. So. <laughs> Definitely. Emo oh my gosh. It. I still go back to taking back Sunday on Spotify every once in a while. Oh yeah. That's good. Awesome. Make damn sure. You know, Louder oh, now. Man, it's oh, just gosh. the best. Great album. It's the best. I love it. Um, and they're awesome. And those songs are amazing. And it was really cool meeting them, hanging out, going to a live show. And, uh, I'd love to make it, but I made it to another one a couple years ago and I'd love to go to another one again. They're so awesome. So and their new stuff's good. I like it. They did that thing with Steve Aoki last year. That was cool. So, you know, they're still mm. going. That's Just right. like That's us. Good. Yeah. Uh, also, what's going right now, the F1 entry deadline has now passed for the sort of the team, prospective teams that want to join Formula 1 uh, through this, I can't remember what they called the process, something, evaluation process, whatever, uh, which means the Speaking of gatekeeping. Andretti, <laughs> yeah, speaking of gatekeeping, the Andretti Cadillac deal uh, is obviously a part of that and a couple other team entries, including a Formula Equal one, um, so we'll, we now await sort of the decision-making. I'm going to say something on this podcast that I don't normally do right now. And if this gets clipped and put on the internet, we might be really, really famous for a little bit. So do you, should I say it or no? Go ahead. Yeah. I have heard that the Andretti Cadillac deal has, is happening. And that it has been accepted. And the only question mark is how much money they're going to have to pay to join. And that a $200 million fee could be a lot larger. Um, And we will see. So (laughs) I'm not saying sources. I'm not saying – I'm not going to tell you how I know this information. Uh, If it's legit, we'll see. This is a purely rumor. I don't usually deal in rumors. But I feel like – this is such a cool thing. If it does happen, I'd love to see it happen. Um, that 
I just feel wow. like in, I'm almost willing it into existence. Classic. That is classic social media era news breaking, <laughs> where you're like breaking news. So I've heard that Andretti is in. They've got it. They got the deal. It's just details are coming out. But because it's social media and I'm not a real journalist, I'm also going to walk the whole thing back and be like, I'm not a journalist. And I don't have sources. No, it me. doesn't matter. Who am I? I don't know. I could be wrong. I don't have to be accountable for it. Okay. <laughs> so true. Oh, man. We'll see what this ends so, up. So, great job, <laughs> anyway, Parker. Uh, I thanks. guess we're breaking news here now. We're not news. Who knows? We don't know if it's news. We're not news. It's not, it it's could be. Not, he didn't, he didn't, he just could have made it up completely and been like, I'm going to roll the dice on if I'm right on this or not. Um, the I'm one thing I think it. is interesting, the one thing that I do want you to explain to the listeners, because I didn't fully understand how this worked and... Explain the two hundred million dollar buy-in fee. Like, what what is yep. that, and what does it mean? Where does it come from? How how do we de- how do they determine how much it is? So, it's the two hundred million dollar buy-in fee is basically a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not dissolution, but uh, what do you do when the, dilution fee? And so, you know, of the ten teams in Formula One right now, they get a certain amount of money from the sport each year from the TV rights and all the income the sport has, and it's built into their agreement with Liberty Media uh, as to, you know, what amount they get, right? Well, if you add another team, which will be an 11th team, that team will also want a piece of that money, right? That's how these teams run. It's the prize money, whatever you want to call it. Uh, And so the teams, and when they did the latest agreement, the teams in Liberty Media came up with this $200 million buy-in because that would potentially satisfy the dilution they would experience if a new team joined. Now, this was before F1 exploded in popularity in the last five years because of Netflix, and therefore, there's a lot of consternation amongst the team saying, hey, that number is outdated because we've experienced so much growth. Handing us all 20 million bucks is not even going to get close to what we need for the dilution that you're about, we're about to experience. So the also the increase in revenue that they've experienced and that sort of thing. So now a lot of people are saying this needs to be 600 million, it needs to be 800 million. Some even I think have called for a billion, whatever it is, right? So, which is it's astronomical. Um, that's so why it's like, this so what you're saying is fee exists. It's so it's like saying that all the F1 team owners get a share of this rhubarb pie. And they all get Uh one slice of the rhubarb pie. And then Netflix makes a documentary on rhubarb pies. And so the price to share a piece of the rhubarb pie for a new person to come in and get a slice, because now if a new person comes in and gets a slice, everybody else gets a smaller slice. So now the price (laughs) has, has to go up. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So Netflix makes a documentary on rhubarb pies. (laughs) <laughs> and now everybody wants a rhubarb pie. So now yep. to let in a new person, they're like, well, it was $10 to sh- get your piece of the rhubarb pie, but now it's $20 because Netflix made a documentary about rhubarb pies. That's, Did can I you do more sense? of your, yeah, can you do more of your metaphors around crypto? Because I think it, you were better at it than the rhubarb pie. <laughs> <laughs> was crypto better than, okay, sorry. 
I think you did better at crypto. Um, <laughs> Which on this day, by the way, speaking of crypto, so they, the SE. I, here, I, I, I've, I have one more question on this, though, and I guess I shouldn't have gone down this rhubarb pile. I was trying to be smart and cute. But um, <laughs> so is it the teams that have to be like, it, it, is there have to be consensus or can does does Andretti or whoever this new team is coming in, d- do they negotiate individually with all these teams on what the fee is or, or is it a consensus? Like how's that, do they have an association with like RTA and NASCAR or how's that work? Yeah, it's a consensus. And you had the, you remember Michael Andretti, uh, what was it, a year ago in Miami, literally pounding the pavement with a piece of paper begging F1 team bosses to sign his, you know, sign an agreement saying we support his bid to be an F1 team. Um, I think there was a quote by Christian Horner that was pretty amazing to describe sort of the temperature amongst the 10 F1 teams, which was having a having F1 teams vote to add an 11th team without changing the the entry fee would be like turkeys voting for Christmas. And I, th- I think also Thanksgiving would work in that, Chris, you know, they have turkey at Thanksgiving or Christmas in England. You have turkey in Thanksgiving in America. Um basically saying it's like you know voting ourselves into a death situation and we're not doing that so i think it's gonna be the number is definitely up for discussion well it's not even just the the i mean the tangible money is the tv money right because if the tv money is worth a hundred million dollars a year which i don't know what it's actually worth you know to let andretti in they're gonna take a slice of that right that's the whole point of the pie analogy yep. um so yeah it, it's it's it makes sense that it's like okay now you got to pay us something because you're taking a piece of our pie um but also in the back of their minds christian horner or anybody else in a, in the f1 paddock right now they're thinking that this is an american team that's taking that's going to go up the ladder on american sponsors that we've been enjoying right we've been enjoying these this this new u.s interest in our sport and we've been taking these american companies and putting them on our car um, and Andretti is a pretty big name and U.S. company, and they're going to no doubt be top of the list for U.S. sponsors wanting to get into F1. So there's some potential hmm. business there. Gatekeeping. It's kind of interesting. Gatekeeping. That's, gatekeeping. That's the, that is the term of this episode, gatekeeping. So uh, I, we'll see how it pans out. I would love to see it happen. I think Andretti is really cool to see them trying to become the global force in motorsports that they're becoming. Um, and I respect Michael Andretti you and have... that family and all that they've done and put together. And obviously Mario is amazing. And I just think if you're going to see a team go global from the U.S., why not the Andrettis who are one of the most powerful names in all of racing? It's pretty cool. Love it. Um, so I know we had one more uh f1 money thing to talk about here and i think this would uh this one to me will make blow marcus smith north north carolina's tax <laughs> subsidy for north wilkesboro out of the water <laughs> why don't you introduce Did you it, see uh well yet yeah, i was gonna ask you if you saw the f1 uh so f1 is looking for 40 million dollars from the county of clark county not the state of Nevada, um, mm. <laughs> but Clark <laughs> County in in Las Vegas, which I don't know uh, what what county is North Wilkesboro in in North Carolina. Oh, I don't <laughs> it's know. It's not Mecklenburg. <laughs> I don't know. Iredell County, Hickory Wilkesboro County. County. I don't know what county it is. Uh, Wilkesboro County might be. 
<laughs> I don't think the Wilkesboro County. I don't yet. think it's forty million in the budget, let alone eighteen million <laughs> in the budget for the speedway to get renovated. But it looks like F one is looking for. Uh, so they're expecting the cost to build the infrastructure uh, to be eighty million, and they're asking Clark County for forty million in public money towards that work. Mm. You also not to step away from racing, but you have uh, the Oakland Athletics who want to move to Vegas and are asking for some hundreds of millions to build a billion dollar stadium uh, in Las Vegas. And there was a study that came out I saw uh, where they basically said, look, adding a, another team to a, like a baseball team like the Oakland Athletics uh, would bring basically zero value to the city because you need like, X amount of people to come just for that and they won't because it's not popular enough and therefore you know, the couple hundred million that the team is asking for them to spend uh, would actually be used better in just, you know, helping in other projects. Um, so kind of interesting is, wow. you, you know, Vegas is obviously very popular, but, you know, these big events try to leverage, uh, you know, public sector funds to make them make financial sense, right? Um, and it's always a discussion is it worth it or not, right? Does it? Does the city see the return? Does the state, the county, whatever, right? Do they see the return on that in visitors, in the visitors spending money within the county and the state and all sort of thing? And so this is always a discussion. But yeah, asking for $40 million out of an $80 million uh, of cost that are tied to the infrastructure upgrades to get the place ready for the Grand Prix. So we'll see. That's going to be interesting. NASCAR's gone through it with Chicago, right? And the repaving the roads there. So this is, this is not, um, this is not so abnormal. This be, so, so when you say infrastructure, uh, infrastructure upgrade, so this is anything from roads that need repaved on the circuit. Yeah. Or manhole covers know, being like, you know, yep. Yeah. I think the things they have to adjust that are not their own, like they're building that building there, uh, which is like a hundred million bucks, I think. Right. Um, and that looks pretty cool. And it'll be sort of a HQ and an entertainment center and that sort of stuff. And then will be the garages as well. But they're going to have to do other things. And so they're just these. This is always this, these big events, right? It's like it's so commonplace to see them asking for public funds. So let's move on to IndyCar uh, because well, I think they should give them the money. Do it. Just all right. do it. Raise the taxes. Land. Give them money. Raise the tax. Yeah. Why there not? you go. Print more there money. You go. Why not? <laughs> Just no, you just gotta you just gotta charge the just casinos more. That's all you gotta do. Yeah, they make enough that's money. Right. They build a whole city out of the sand. So that's right. Uh, and they have all our money. So that's for sure. Uh, I saw this tweet by uh, Russ Thompson, which I thought was interesting. He said another data point in the ongoing IndyCar versus F1 debate. Since the start of the 2022 season, there have been five F1 races where the winner led every lap of the race, with no lead changes. To find five IndyCar races where there were no lead changes, you have to go back to 2004. Just saying. Kind of interesting. Speaking of which. How far back do you have to go to find a NASCAR race with no lead changes? Uh, would it be Jeff Burton at New Hampshire, 2001, when he led every lap? Mm. Dominated? That's probably the last one. That's pretty important. It's got to be That's pretty one. impressive. That The fact yeah. that you were able to rattle that off was pretty good. Well, thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, it was in New Hampshire. They had restrictor plates, and um, you know, unfortunate for the reasons why they had restrictor plates. But yeah, he, I believe he led every lap or almost every lap. So that has never. I, I can guarantee you, 
we will almost never see a NASCAR race ever again in the history of the entirety that NASCAR exists where there's not a lead change or someone who leads every single lap. That would be. I think NASCAR race control would throw a caution with five laps to go and the lead, <laughs> send the leader to the back. <laughs> Just black flag the guy leading. If that's the case, my newly made cameo account at 100 ratings, would, I'll delete it if that ever happens to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Just Look at you. Just more IndyCar. You're just selling out both sides to cameo. Yeah, more IndyCar. Uh, it was a dominant win at Detroit with the new Detroit GP circuit, uh, which was cool. <laughs> Alex Pillow won, you know, sort of a dominant one, but there was a lot of passing. It was a tr- The track was really tricky. It was really slick um, and fair amount of contact. And so just a really exciting – I thought it was a very interesting race. Um, and I'll, I'll give the – you know, the Detroit Street Circuit was – you know, it looked like a new street circuit to me, which is, they always sort of seem a little, maybe at times Mickey Mouse or whatever. You know, there's there's areas where they're really tight or just overly bumpy, but that's just I feel like that's just the flair of street course racing. And to me, that's American open wheel racing. Yeah, on street circuits, I love it. It's just like, it, it's I don't, always they start that way, me, that's but they get feature. better. That makes it special. Yeah. I know. I I hate that F1 is so, you know, particular about their tracks and, you know, everything has to be perfect. And I know they have their legacy, you know, venues like Monaco. But um, I, I, I mean, I watched some of the IndyCar race. I, first of all, I couldn't imagine running 100 laps around that circuit. <laughs> uh, that would be beat up physically, just destroyed. Um, second of all, and going back to a few weeks ago when I had my, you know, world famous tweet, the tweet that was heard around the world, and I had all these IndyCar fans just railing on me as if I was blasphemy IndyCar. Um, they were saying like, "Oh, you IndyCar drivers, they can't bump into each other like you NASCAR guys run into each other because they don't have fenders. They got to take care of their cars." Well, I'm sorry, but if you watch that race at Detroit, those guys, they didn't need <laughs> fenders to run into each other those those guys were absolutely firing it in on each other uh it was super exciting to watch there was plenty of contact those cars i don't know it's just it's just is fun and it's fun watching them bounce around and stuff and i guess you know i know alex pretty much dominates the race and you know, we didn't get to, you know you don't see on one hand we think that there has to be this like dramatic race for the win and last lap passes to watch a good race but like you said i mean there was lots still lots of passing and just tricky track and the bumps and sliding and narrow sections i don't know it was it was cool i don't i'm not saying well, it's i want to see a whole series worth of that but um i mm-hmm. like it detroit well will power will power had a, yeah will power had a uh Passed the lead as well. That was pretty awesome. Maybe no, he's, he was on the alternate set of tires, but it was it was interesting. And if you like that kind of racing, uh, I check think, out Formula E. I think I don't know if by the way are you, was he was that a pass on Scott Dixon at the time? No, it was Pillow. He had a pass. He had a pass on Dixon that I'm pretty sure he scared the bejesus out of Dixon. <laughs> I can't really? remember where it was. I, it was I don't remember which it was one in that the is. highlight video. Anyways. <laughs> Let's talk about Lamar. That doesn't surprise me. Well, and also, uh, Will Power is a beast, so he always has been. Yeah. Um, Lamar, 24 hours, as we promised at the beginning of the show. Uh, it may be the 91st running, but it is 
the hundredth year since they first ran the Le Mans Twenty Four Hour. They took a little break for a thing called a war, um, a world war. So this is the centenary, centenary uh, edition, which means they can then do the centennial one when they actually hit a hundred of them, maybe later on. So you get to do this twice and sell more T-shirts, which is great. Go Le Mans. Mm-hmm. Um, in the hypercars, which some of you listeners maybe hear us talk about IMSA, where we talk about GTP. That's essentially hypercars. It's the you know platform for what is what used to be called LMP1 and that sort of thing. It's the top level prototype class. WEC calls it hypercar. We call it GTP and IMSA. Um, you have Ferrari, Porsche, Peugeot, Cadillac, Toyota, uh, Van Wall, Glickenhaus, all going, um, you know, for, vying for victory over there at Le Mans 24 Hours. And Ferrari in the test days was the fastest with their 499P, 32 or three minute, 29 second lap, at 0.504. And what was interesting is Penske or the Porsche Penske Motorsports number six car was only like three tenths off. Third, the Toyota was ah, what was it? Two, three tenths off as well. I think the four Porsche tenths. was closer than that. The Porsche was like a tenth and a half off. Oh, a tenth, yeah, a tenth and a half, and then three tenths the Toyota. So really close. Pretty cool to see all the way back to like to I think twelfth of all these cars was really close, which was cool. So that was awesome. I also saw this deal where the they sort of split up the sectors. Um, and I found this funny. So the, the Ferrari is obviously showing the most speed down the straightaway because they're the fastest down the Mulsanne sector, Mulsanne straight, which mm-hmm. is essentially two, you know, chicane corners and long straightaways. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Porsche was not fastest in the Porsche curves, which is the last sector. So <laughs> disappointing for the Porsche. <laughs> and then lastly, uh, you've, you've been on Twitter or any social media in the last couple of days. You may have seen the photo of the NASCAR Garage 56 entry from Hendrick Motorsports with Jimmy Johnson, Mike Rockefeller, and Jensen Button. Uh, and everyone wanted to know how fast it would be, that sort of thing. But this photo showed how big it was compared to everything else out there. It looks like someone led an SUV on the track, which is awesome. Uh, they were really Remember fast. Remember that old BMW so, photo? Yes, the M8, where it just gets bigger and bigger. I love that. <laughs> is that wait a second this photo that i'm looking at of garage 56 is that is that actual that's not oh my gosh that's no that's the actual meme. size it's not it's not a meme that car's it's huge. the actual size it's ginormous <laughs> oh my gosh i just I love it hope they can make it to 24 hours i hope that, that i car do too doesn't baja over some prototype <laughs> or well hypercar or whatever we're calling it <laughs> yes and speed wise we have to we have to point out fast. something Really fast. They're in the top five of the GT class. They wanted to line up exactly the GT. Mike Rockenfeller at a 353.7, which is – that's a damn fast lap in a GT car around Le Mans. Uh, Jensen Button at a 354.2, and then Jimmy Johnson at a 355.8. He'll get faster as he learns to track, you know, his first time in Le Mans. Um, it also which, by the way, by three... the way, go ahead. Jimmy, Jimmy – Jimmy within two seconds of Mike Rockefeller at Le Mans in the yep. same car. That's pretty good. He'll be good. Yeah, he'll I'm be good. Pretty, he'll figure it. I'm pretty proud of that. He'll figure it out. Yeah. And he'll, I mean, you don't get a lot of running, but 
you know, it's it's most of these endurance races, they have a lot of practice. But if you think about it, you've got three drivers. You've got drivers that have to do nighttime practice. It actually doesn't equate to a ton of laps usually for drivers. And that circuit being eight miles long, you know, you're not, you don't get a lot of attempts at it. So he's going to – he's doing the right thing, yep. and he's within two seconds, two and a half seconds. I think he'll get far closer. Um, they did, Jimmy they made, did have – They got 58 laps in, though. Yeah. Well, that's a, that was a whole day. Basically, the, I mean, as, it, so, as the whole car did. Not, I'm not saying each driver, yeah. but uh, Jimmy did have the fastest speed trap, of course, in the Garage 56 car, 305.6 kilometers an hour, which is roughly around 190 miles per hour uh, down the Molson straightaway. That's getting it. That's going. Love that. They also were they won the pit stop competition amongst the GT cars That's and awesome. were the fifth fastest pit stop of any cars at the event so that was pretty cool i saw some videos of people just loving the with, nascar style pit stop with a with jack a nascar style pit stop with a jack yeah. on yeah. both sides <laughs> they had an extra carrier compared to the nascar rules but that was so cool to see a 10 second pit stop in lamar yep on a nascar all on the line well and the, the no thing hydraulic is, the, all the other yeah, that's all the other cars have hydraulic jacks. So it was just awesome to see. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. It's going to be fun to watch. I uh, will be racing in Sonoma, but I'll do my best to kind of check in on the Le Mans 24-hour. So see what's going on. We should, we should probably dive into NASCAR now. We promised it earlier. Uh, of the three series racing this weekend, you had trucks at Gateway, which came down to a late race duel between Ty Majeski and Zane Smith where Ty Majeski fired it in on the inside into turn three, lost it, as you see Austin in trucks, uh, didn't have the side force, took out Zane Smith, and Grant Enfinger went on to win. Um, see that often, trucks. Good race, though. And Ty Majeski actually owned up to it and just said, hey, I went for it. Didn't work. You see that? So the way you said that, and I don't know if it's how you meant it or not, but the, the firing it in, wrecking, you see that often in trucks. And then you said, you know, Grant Enfinger missing the wreck and winning, and you see that often in trucks. And I don't know if that's how you meant it, but I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I agree. I, those are facts. <laughs> like Grant Enfinger just being there and being like, oh, Grant won. I'm like, what? Yeah. How'd that happen? He's, <laughs> you see that that's often in trucks. Really yep. Yep, that's actually great. Uh, I didn't. I didn't watch the race. I, I, I'm sorry. I'll. Uh, I didn't watch a truck race, but I did uh, see a lot of apologies on Twitter afterwards. So I figured it was something like that. Mm, yeah. So the Xfinity series was at Portland, as I mentioned. I was in that race. I watched that race. I watched. Yeah, thank it. you. I saw your, your. You. You liked to live text me during the race, even though I do not have my phone which is one of my favorite moments after each race to check my phone and see all the things you said about my race. <laughs> but uh, long story short, we put a lot of effort in this one. I went fast in practice. By three-tenths, I led practice. Then went to qualifying, had a gearbox issue. Didn't really get to put together a lap. Actually put, was clutching on my fastest lap and still almost made the top five, which was pretty cool. Got in the race. We mm -hmm. drove to the field, got to the top five, and found ourselves in second with seven laps to go, trying to chase down um, Algar, who had a three-second lead. Caution flies. We do a late race restart, me on the front row. I overcook it into one a little bit, lock the rears, try to you know, end up sliding in third. Then we got another caution. This time I restart third on the inside. And my team, I should say, did an awesome job throughout this whole 
preparation for this event, we brought an awesome car. We were just super fast. And I felt like this last restart, I had to find a way to control this race because it was so hard to pass. If you look at that race, we found our size at, t at times four or five cars in a train, basically. Like It felt like supercars where we were cooling our brakes on the straightaways because we were running so close together, so you know, we were so tight in speed. There wasn't a lot of tire fall off. Um, and so it was just really, a really interesting race. And like when I came down before those cautions at the end with like seven laps to go, I was going down the front stretch and it was like, you'll love this. It was one of those hot days. The track you can just see has gotten greasier. There's rubber laid in. We're on a long green flag run again. And you're like, this is classic stock car racing. Like <laughs> I'm trying to, love the it. brakes barely work. You're banging through the gears the tires are falling away from you yeah, and you're trying I, to run down a guy for a win i love that about so it just stock cars are awesome it doesn't awesome. matter if it's martinsville hickory or <laughs> portland or sonoma where you're going this weekend like yep. just when those cars get greasy and grody and gross and just lean into each other and uh, it was a good racing i mean you could throw a blanket over the top six um, oh the yeah Xfinity series so close series you did so good. Where where were you beating everybody? Because it it just seemed like it seemed like stage one your long run speed was incredible. It seemed like stage yep. two it was okay, and then it and then you guys must have made a really good adjustment going to stage three because your long run speed in stage three was was great. I mean, you were some of that. You and Sheldon had the two best cars the majority of the race. I haven't seen the actual data, yep. but it seemed like you and Sheldon had the two best cars the majority of the race at the very end of the race. The seven was the best car, but you were the, probably the second best car, in my thought. Yep. I think Where were you a lot of it... Well, I didn't, there's no SMT, so I can't really tell you um, oh, directly. Right. But I can tell you from my, my experience, 10, 10, 11, 12 was probably one of my best spots, which um, was the last three corners of the track. Yep. And the track. a lot of that was I found a unique way to use the first curb without getting in the grass and sort of steady myself up for the second right-hander and allowed myself to have a lot flatter platform braking than I saw other guys. And so you, you saw a lot of guys lose the left rear there. I could just gain a lot of time down into there. And then it would set me up for the drive off of the corner, which we obviously had drive off with the, the soft setup we were running. Um, go ahead. My first curb, you mean, are you talking about turn eight? So like after the back stretch straight away? Because you after asked the back me before stretch. you went to the race weekend. Yep. You asked me so how that much corner. curb I need to use Yes. There. And I said, yes. use all the curb. Yes. And there's, except, there's grip on that curb. There is, except what you had is a lot of people going so far they're in the dirt. And what it would do is you'd get dirt on your left side tires, and then you would slide when you got to the right-hander. So I actually found if you just cheated the curb a little bit more to the right and sort of dropped your left sides in between the curb and the concrete there and didn't go all the way to the grass, it was super smooth, and you could just keep the wheel straight and it would fire you onto the right one and keep the platform better. So then I could just start braking with a better platform, and that's, I was gaining a lot of time there. Um, and then turns, I think turn six and seven on the backstretch, we were not one of the strongest. I think Cole Custer was, which um, I kind of know why. But, yeah, I think that really was where we were gaining a lot of time. And I was getting very straight onto the front straightaway, which kept our rear tires on it, and then you have drive off which mm -hmm. helps over the long run. So and why, why was Cole better? He had traction control? Uh, he was able to go to first gear. a shortcut? No. Well, yeah, basically. Um, he was able to go to first gear, I noticed, on the broadcast, and I don't think many cars were able to do that. I think they ran a little taller first gear. And so he was... Were we you, able to do so that you were yet. staying in second for turn seven? 
Yeah, the whole time. Yep. I tried first many times, but you couldn't make it work. So you just need a little yeah. bit of tar gear. Um, I and then running first gear there last year. Yeah, it was interesting. I think it's a, it's definitely an in between corner, but it's it's mm -hmm. a different. It was if it's well, it's if you don't funny have the RPM, because turn seven. It. So turn seven at Portland is this hairpin that that leads onto the backstretch, and the most important. It's really the most important or the second most important corner second on the most, track because. Yeah. Because it leads onto the backstretch, and there's there's a half a second either way to gain or lose on that corner mm -hmm. and turn twelve. Is it? This is the last corner that leads onto the front stretch. Like those are the two yep. most important corners on the track. But what's interesting about turn seven is, and I didn't ever feel like I got it right last year, which we also raced in the rain. But even in my my preparations for it, I never quite could get turn seven right. It's this hairpin, but it has this this wideness to it and shape yeah. and also even banking to it that mm -hmm. that makes it drive like a momentum corner so yep. and and also the way you set up off a of turn 6 your car is always bending so you're never you're never straight going into turn 7 so it's not this really straightforward you know threshold brake zone you know peak decel type hairpin so your car's always bending. You always have some angle to it. So it's all that turn seven is, to me is all about angles and momentum. And, you know, it's, there's really weird points of reference because the entrance is so wide to it. Um, I felt like Sheldon, you know, that's probably one of his strong suits there. And I, th I think Sheldon is a really good driver when it comes to angles um, I think that he has very good vision for the racetrack. I don't know if that comes from his, you know, time in, in, um, off-road trucks. Like if he just has a very good, but I feel like he has, you know, you talk about athletes having like court vision and stuff like basketball players having court vision and video of the court. I think Sheldon has very good track vision and very good, like situational awareness of his car on the track. And that's where his car control skills come from. Um, so he's good with angles. I think that he is really good in turn seven there, I would say, if we could see mm -hmm. SMT data of him. But I would agree with that. Um, yeah, he anyways. One of the strongest but that's no, so yeah, anyways, going back to the original point, that's why that's why it's turn seven is an in between corner of it's not just a first gear hairpin corner where you're stopping the car. It 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 can yep. be a momentum corner. You can get away with, you know, second gear um, and rolling the car through the corner. It, it invites you to have a wide arc and break late, but then every time you do that, you overcook the center, and you pay for it on the exit, and you pay for that all the way down the straightaway, so it yeah. doesn't pay off. Uh, you've got to underdrive the entry, yep. get it to the apex, get it pointed, and get off the corner in, in the throttle. And you know, doing the, if you have the ability to be in first gear, that can help you do that. Um, we didn't have that, so that's why I think the double zero was better there. Moving on... To the final restart, I got a hell of a restart pushing the seven of Allgaier. I pushed him all the way across the line, and the second we got across the line, my thought process was because I was pushing him, I felt like if I could pop the right and he didn't block, this was the move to make to take control of the real estate down into turn one. I felt like if I could at least battle him through there and be on the outside on the exit, which I had done to numerous other drivers on the exit of turn two, this would allow me to control into turn three and then four um, and eventually take the lead, maybe even through five or six. And so my thought was push him, pop out, 
at least just break beside him into the corner, forcing him to not have the ability to turn in as well with me controlling that real estate, and then we'd fight it all the way out to the next couple corners. And also effectively overtaking Sheldon because he would be all the way on the outside and wouldn't be able to you know, be near us because of the real estate being taken up. Mm-hmm. That's not exactly how it panned out. I end up locking the rear tires. <laughs> uh, got a tremendous amount of wheel hop. Tried to get the thing slowed down. Didn't. It looked a little bit overzealous. Um, you know, that was something I trouble with the restart before, so I had adjusted my brake bias to try and minimize that. Um, and I had struggled that a little bit all day. And so, in my mind, you know, what, what happened eventually at the end there, I didn't go through the shortcut because I thought making the corner would actually be faster. It turned out not to be. The seven and the mm-hmm. two went through the shortcut. They end up rejoining second and third or so, second and fourth. Um, and we end up falling all the way back into the clutches and getting rammed and finished 14th. For me, I wanted to win that race. I thought it was the move to do it cleanly. I thought it was the best opportunity because of the restart we got. If I was a car length back, if I was half a car length back coming to the start finish line, I don't make that move, right? But the fact was I was pushing Justin and therefore I was so close to him, it felt almost impossible not to at least try and control that open real estate because he couldn't get there with me pushing him. He couldn't make the block. Um, I know a lot of fans were like, oh, there's overzealous. You're never going to make the corner. I still made the corner, actually. So <laughs> you're wrong there. Um, I, I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, Justin Allgaier and I have texted a bit. He was obviously not happy about it. But I, I said, and I say this again, to me, it was the cleanest way to affect, to try and win that race. If we go through there side by side, or if I come out second and we have to race it out, most likely it's going to involve contact to make a pass because of how that place was and his car maybe being a little better to the braking mm-hmm. zone of turn one. And I wanted to win that race. I felt like we had the fastest car. We set the fastest lap. We set 13 of the fastest laps in the race. You know, the restarts and short run speed probably wasn't our strong suit, but you know what? If you, you know, you're in that position, I feel like I had to take it and I, I walked away from there thinking, man, I'm disappointed in the result, but I'm glad I went for it because I think there's nothing also more disappointing than being in position to win a race and feeling like there's more you could have done, right? Now, I don't want you to agree with me here if I want your opinion on the move. And if you want and want to go down this, it'd be fun to discuss in that you take the opposite side of why I shouldn't have done it and what maybe would have been a better move than doing what I did. Um, I don't, so I knew that's, I knew you're based on our prep for the show. I knew you're going to throw the question at me that way. You want me to take the opposite side here? Um, and I'm not, I'm going, I'm not going to here. I want to go a different direction. Um, okay. Because I'm not just going to play devil's advocate for the sake of playing devil's advocate. I'll give you my opinion on the move after all this. Um, I'm more interested in a therapy session here. So, <laughs> Okay. W- Let's go back to that moment, and let's say that you can't make that move, but you still got to win the race. Where else mm-hmm. are we going to make a move? Like, what? Tell me how you're going to win the race if you can't make that move into turn one. If you have to stay behind him, you're not going to. Pu- you're not peeking out. You're going to break with him into turn one. Um, now play out the rest. Of- we're we're coming out of the chicane now. Turn two. 
or what I think. Yeah. Do they call that turn two out of the game? We're coming at a turn two now. Tell me what. Let's let's play this out now. How? But you have to win the race. How are you going? If do it? I've cleared Sheldon, most likely, so I'm in second place to the seven of Allgaier. Which you had a hell of a uh, run. I, I know we're kind of yep. walking over each other here, but but you had a hell of a run. And it mm-hmm. is fair to think, like, you could have pushed Justin into turn one. And I'm not saying pushed, but, like, you could have pushed Justin into turn one. You per- you might have cleared Sheldon because I think yep. you were basically next to Sheldon at that point anyways. Yep. So, okay, so we're so, in second in turn two. How are we going to win? We're in second coming out of turn two. My thought process was the only other opportunity I had was 10, 11, 12, and it was going to involve contact because no one made a pass in 10, 11, or 12 without contact throughout the entire day, which you saw the two and the 20. You saw, uh, I believe, the 7 and maybe the 20 as well had contact yeah. down there. The 21 and another had contact down there. Because of the way that corner is, it's not really a hard-breaking you could situation. Ship them in turn three. You, can, you could ship them in the turn 3, but I don't think that's – I usually wasn't close enough to most cars to ship them there um, or to do that. So it wasn't really in my mm-hmm. – that I didn't feel like that was a place I was more – I had the speed advantage. Where I had the speed advantage was 10, 11, 12, the last corner of the track – where it would have involved mm, rolling right. through 10, 11. Hold on, rolling through there, getting into the back bumper, moving them out of the groove, right? Maybe not shipping them, but moving them out of the groove, and it would be a drag race down the line. That was my other thought, because when I looked well, at the rest of that race... Nobody means to ship anybody. No, yeah, well, it probably <laughs> would have went further, but who knows. But the, the point being, when I... My thought process at the time was... That was the two opportunities. I'm not going to beat him down to turn one on the, you know, the white flag lap because I wasn't out breaking him at all any time before, and we, we just didn't have the breaking performance to do that, which we've already gone mm-hmm. to work on. Um, the you know, turns three and four, five, six, seven were almost impossible to ever pass unless you got beside them out of two. So those were a non-passing mm-hmm. zone. You're not going to beat them out of seven and then beat them in the 10 because you're going to end up wrecking going through there side by side. The best opportunity would have been staying as close as you could, get the run out of seven, be as close to 10, 11, bumper to the back into 12, move them out of the groove, and that's how you make the pass, um, which would involve more contact. Coming, I thought the way I did was cleaner. Do you think coming to white you would have done that or, or coming to no, the checkered? No, I think you I think you had to wait to the checkered because they could get back to you after that. You'd had to wait to the checkered. So it would have been a last lap, last mm. corner, ditch effort. Ah. I don't know about that. I think if you ship, well, them, if you I ship mean, them, if you ship them the way everybody else got shipped, there, there are no. Well, I'm, I'm going to say ship them. I, well, first of all, first of all, I, I do want to. I don't want to ship something. You say that you just want to rattle their cage, but I don't think in that <laughs> scenario, going for your first win in that spot, you're not rattling any cages. I think whether it's the white or the checkered, you're just going to ship them out of pure adrenaline. Right, I mean, that's, 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 just, that's just what happens. I'm yep. sorry. I think 99% of the ships that you see in the Xfinity Series, Cup Series, Truck Series, whatever, aren't intended to be sh- full-on shipping a guy. I think you know <laughs> they're trying to move him out of the way, but it's just once you connect bumpers, um, you just push and you go, oh, that feels good, and you push a little harder. Yeah. Hey, this is um, working. Hey, I love this. I don't. I I I didn't. I disagree with you on this strategy here. I think you ship them. Let's just say ship. Okay. <laughs> Maybe because it's more fun to say. I think well, wh- whatever why? you do, well, whether you're a... rattling their cage or you're shipping yeah. them, I think you're doing it coming to the white. And the reason is really? you got to take it when you can get it. I think you take it when you can get it. For this win, yeah. I think maybe... Yep. 
hey, 10 wins down the road or you've already got two wins, you're in the playoffs and we're back to this track and you're maybe you can be a little bit more patient. But Parker, your first mm-hmm. win, like for me, like it's no, I you're you're taking and 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 that actually goes back to my opinion on why it's like it's fruitless for me to just take some arbitrary stance against the move that you made because it's like, you know what? No, you had a gap there. You have to fill that gap. And I'm not trying to give some romantic um, you know, Ayrton Senna quoted, you know, <laughs> race car driver gap thing. I'm just saying that like on restarts in Xfinity at road courses, you have to fill a gap. That's just, it's just like the rule you have to, yep. otherwise the gap will be filled on you. And, and so if you're, you know, if you're backing up your entry to be like, Oh, I'm going to save this for later. You're just putting yourself really at risk to whatever's going mm-hmm. on behind you or whatever Sheldon has going on on your left. Um, and, and you know what, maybe it would work out because you just painted a really good scenario and we can create a really good argument for why it's like, you know what, maybe a little patience. Maybe I keep try to maintain six inches off the seven car and I get position on the two car first and then I can move the seven down internal 11 and 12. Um, I think that's a, that's a good strategy. And in hindsight, maybe that would have worked. Um, but for the position you were in and to have that restart that you had, I mean, you had an amazing time to restart on the seven, pushing him down the front stretch. It was the restart. It was an ungodly restart. I don't know. You got to yeah. fill that gap. I saw, I mean, I saw you, I'm trying to think turn one. I saw you pass somebody into turn one that I was like, damn, that was pretty good. I don't know if it was <laughs> the 10 or who it was, but there's somebody yeah. that you pass into turn one that I was like, okay, he's got something. He's got something in turn one here under breaking. And yep. so when you made that move on the seven, I was like, oh, I think he's got it. Um, so anyways, <laughs> my too. opinion of what happened, and I don't have to, well, I know you did, you thought that too. Like <laughs> at the end of the day, I think it was the right move. I think you had to make the move. And I don't, in a way, I'm going to sound harsh here. I don't even care if you knock the seven car off the track for that move mm-hmm. and you won the race. You were just inches of execution away from making it and winning it yourself and that's all that yeah like to me it was just like the execution just missed it just by inches right and yep. i'm not talking inches yep. like a clean pass i'm talking inches where you still knock the seven off the track but maybe <laughs> you make the corner <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 right yeah. oh no yeah definitely still probably above um, contact because because to me for me i that's all i cared about i didn't i sorry justin i love you buddy he's won plenty of races. I cared that you make the corner and win the race. So, um, you know, that's what I wanted to see first. We were inches away from that. (laughs) So you did the right thing. I'm not going to take some arbitrary approach against, but I'm glad that you were able to articulate to me the the other option. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you're in the same scenario at Sonoma this weekend, what does this look like? If you're restarting in, well, let's see, we have the choose. So let's say you're choosing third for a green white checkered at Sonoma this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yep. You would probably take you take the most likely would have to see how it plays out, but <laughs> you know, I've had success there being on the inside into turn 1 multiple times. And I've had success being on the outside cuz it puts you on the inside of 3 and 4. So it's it's a multi chance you go side situation. by side all the way to turn 4. Yeah, there really is. There's a chance you go side by side all the way to the six, basically. Um, I've seen that before. In the trucks last year, we did that many times. So I don't think there's a clear-cut winner up there, but I most likely, if I'm in third, I take the inside, be on the bumper of the leader, 
race, you know, squeeze as hard as I can through the left-hander through the front straightaway, set up myself to push them as far out as I can off of turn one and two there towards three and four, um, and then set yourself up mm -hmm. in a position to pass the leader either into turn seven or to be as close to them as you possibly can into turn 10, right, um, in turn 11, Here. and make the move there, right, which is going to be similar to what mm -hmm. you've seen in 12, but it's, it's a multi – there you have – it's a multi-corner thing. Now, if you can beat them in the seven, outbreak them there, usually that means you can get away through the S's and through 10 that you have a large enough gap into 11, but you're putting yourself at major risk into 11 to be shipped. So you got to know yeah. who you're racing. Yeah. Um, right? One little point here on the, on the choose, I think in that scenario for Sonoma where the lane choice you're, you're a little waffly on, if you're mm -hmm. choosing third, I think that it could be a smart default to choose behind the leader. That's, because yeah, at the I agree, end of the day, like if, if, the lane if the lane choice is equal and you're like inside, outside, I'm not sure which one I want, choose behind the leader because he's the one that controls the restart. Right? And he goes so first. Yep. At, yep. At, and he goes first. So at least then you get a half a car length on the next guy. Mm -hmm. I agree that 100%. Well said. No, it's it's exactly what you have to do. Um, I, I find the the choose at road courses a bit odd. I don't I don't know why we have it. I don't I haven't seen it have any real applications awesome. yet. We base. I don't know. We choose, just all kind of go to the same is, spot. It's more efficient. <laughs> it's more know. efficient. Why why should why I, do we deal now? We don't have to deal with you know race control lining us up and telling us where yeah. to go. It's just like yeah, you get to the cone, you choose. I like it. It's better yeah. racing and it's and it's more efficient. I just think it's just an extra thing to have to. Like, basically, it makes us more versatile. Deal with, yeah. Okay, I don't know. Agree to disagree. <laughs> I'm disagreeing with you on this one. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think it needs to be there. I just think it adds another thing we have to explain, and it's like why blah blah blah. It's just another weird variable. More homework doesn't really. Yeah, it's just not even that. It's just like, it's just. It, road courses didn't need it. It wasn't an issue. It wasn't a problem. I've never lined up at a road course race and thought, huh. If only I could be on the other lane there, I'd uh, been totally different. My whole life would be different. It's like, no, it's never happened. Never, ever. Like, if I'm in fourth place, I was running in fourth. That sucks. Sorry. If you run in third and you're in a better position because of that, great. Good job. Like, I think it's odd. <laughs> so, that's just me. Should we move? Uh, basically, the move happened. People were angry at me. I would do it 10 out of 10 times, and I'm sticking by it. And you know what? The cool part was we had a fast... Damn, big machine vodka spike core Chevy, and we're gonna bring that same one to Sonoma, and we're gonna go take it to him. So we'll see. Thanks for thanks for the session, by the way, the therapy session. I appreciate it. <laughs> you did good. <laughs> well, well, I can't wait to see you next week. We'll see. Uh, Cup, Kyle Busch wins after the one of the weirdest gateway <clears throat> might be cursed. By the way, I don't know. They had red flags for lightning. They had. Uh, Red Shoot. flags for brakes when, parts. With the internet went down. The broadcast went down. Everything weird happens at this racetrack, by the way. When I uh, raced there ten, uh, fifteen years ago, the lights went out in the middle of the race. I was oh, going. Out, I'll never race. forget where I was at. I was in that race. I'll never forget where I was at. I was in the. Fr I was going down the front stretch into turn one. I was like right at the start finish line, and <laughs> lights went no. dark. It was the craziest <laughs> thing in the world. That's insane. 
So when, like, yeah, I apart, by the way, I love that racetrack. I mean, I miss racing there. It's just an awesome racetrack. I hope I get to race there again. Um, but that place, yeah, it might be cursed. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Kyle Busch wanted some great late, late race restarts, but he didn't have much competition with Larson, who was on two tires and just didn't have a fast enough car, uh, as we saw. Speaking of the Hendrick cars, our buddy Corley Joy fills in for Chase Elliott. We had the discussion last week about how he would do in the Napa number nine. Carson Hosenvar drove the seven, and it looked like the nine, and maybe Hendrick as a whole, was a bit of a struggle at Gateway. They just didn't have the speed. Um, at one point, you had Kyle Larson running legitimately 30th place on speed and not able to go much faster uh, in that race. So, you know, I saw the five car use and pit strategy to get up to the front. The 24 was the best of them. The 48 finished just barely in the top 25, and Chloe Joy finished 21st. Carson Hosevar was running up in 17th, I guess, when he had a brake failure, which became a trend. What do we think? Wow. What's our assessment of our buddy Corey there and his, his big opportunity at Hendrick? Um, well, I mean, in hindsight, our call last week was emotional and exciting for Corey, calling him in the top mm -hmm. 10 or top 15, like we said. I think the real question we should have asked ourselves, and I think, I, I think we, in a, in a group text, you and I had this discussion during the race, um, or maybe it was before the race. I think the real question we should have asked on this show was, where is he going to run relation to the teammates? Right? Yep. And well, I think I, you could I realistically said have said. Oh, we did? Okay. Yeah, we said that. But we cared about I, the I, I think it would have been fair to say, like, hey, if Kyle Larson is having a Kyle Larson winning day, is that a top 10 for Corey? Right? Mm -hmm. But if Kyle Larson, you know, if, if the 88 if or 48, I don't know whose number is what, the 5, the 48, <laughs> the... 24 like if those are top 15 or you know 15th place cars which it seemed like they were um does that uh mean you know does that is Corey gonna be able to run right with them or is he gonna run five spots 10 spots behind him um i don't know i was kind of bummed for Corey. you know i i know the feeling it's easy like on one hand you just He's so excited to drive that car, and you want to be able to hop in it, and everything just happened. But also, you are getting in someone else's car, and it's mm -hmm. rare. No matter how good that, I mean, even, especially with a really good driver, but it's rare to get in someone's car and just go as fast as they go in it. It's their car. It's their balance. It's their their crew chief yep. and engineers. The way they set the car up for Corey wasn't. They didn't know how to Corey needs a car set. I mean, I suppose Alan might have talked to Sparks or something. I, I don't know if he did. I don't know if Alan knows anything about how Corey likes a car, but I can guarantee you that Alan was more likely setting a car up for how he knows to set a car up for Chase or for what, you know, work generally works for them. Corey mm -hmm. had a very short amount of time to adapt to that. Um, and maybe that just shows you how different Chase and Corey... Like, th these are some of the things to consider. I'm just throwing this out there that now that I'm thinking about this and speaking it out loud, is, like, Josh Berry ran really well in that nine car. Is that because Josh Berry is better than Corey? I don't know. I wouldn't say that about Corey. I think Corey has shown what he's capable of. There's no... This one race doesn't define Corey's abilities, right? Yep. I think it's more likely to sh tell you that Josh Berry's driving style is more similar to Chase Elliott. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, 
hops in a car, chases car. Allen probably didn't make any changes, especially because he's a rookie, right? Like, and has no yep. cup experience. And Josh, you know, maybe Josh drives the car similar to how Chase drives. Mm-hmm. And actually, I, I could kind of see that. I've studied both of their driving styles. Josh fires it into the corner. Like, Chase fires it into the corner. They, you know, I could see that. I could see him having similar driving styles. So maybe Josh's balance, what he looks for in a balance, just worked. And maybe Corey's is different than Chase. And so, yep. anyways, I'm I'm going way deeper into something that's like, <laughs> it just was, it, you know, it was a bummer for Corey to see him, you know, struggle like that. Or I'm glad he kind of was able to rally at the end and get some spots. But um, hopefully he gets another shot at it. It doesn't mark him off. It doesn't write him off for me by any means. Um, no. You know, the the only thing about Corey is he's vocal about resources and small teams and things like that. And this probably humbles him a little bit in terms of those conversations, you know, whether it's public or private, you know, being like, oh, small team this, or we've got to, you know, need engine upgrades here, engineering upgrades there. This will probably quiet him down on those a little bit. But I think so. And I think he also. Well, I was thinking that he should. He also shouldn't – I texted him this. I was like, hey, man, don't get down. Like, you know, the, the – the a one-off, as you put it, does not define his ability. And, you know, what he's doing in that seven car is incredible. And I did see a quote from a Racer.com article about this where he said a couple things stuck out to me. One, that they basically created the setup around Ross's style. They, when they found – when they looked at everything, they thought he was similar to Ross. Um, and if you look at it, mm-hmm. Ross finished – or ran around 21st and he ran 22nd. So, you know, he's like, Hey, that, that kind of added up. Um, and another part to me that stuck out is, you know, what you just sort of said, he, he said, look, I think I learned in this, there's a value in relationships and continuity. And, you know, you put it best. It's someone else's car. It's built around them. It's, it's their touch points and everything. And, and the success he's having in the seven car, with Sparks and that Spire Motorsports team this year is because for three years or more, you know, they've worked together to craft that feel and car and, you know, execution and, and the processes that they put in place to run that well. You can't just jump in mm-hmm. someone else's car and think you're going to have that same level of, of understanding. So it's, I think it's there's a lot of lessons learned i'm sure you know you got a lot of keyboard warriors out there that will rip in part for being vocal about small teams and get reading that big opportunity um but look you know he's the guy that still does still had a spire motorsports car in the top 20 halfway through the regular season <laughs> which is a you know we just know openly know the budget is not as big as other teams that he's beating and so yeah. that's an impressive thing to be doing but it, it proves why are they doing it because they have good people that he gels with and know him and he knows them and it works. Cool. Well, Austin gets another shot. Um, yeah. What's next? We had Austin. We had Austin. My, on, my back started to hurt. We've been, we've been I know, sitting and quick. talking for a long time. We've been, we're just going to quickly run through this. We had Austin uh, versus Austin. That's Austin Dillon, Austin Sindrick. Um, came together after looking at it. Myself, a couple times, I realized pretty obvious that the three sort of came up the track into the two a little bit. Um, but it, more interesting was the you know, immediate thought of, hey, I got right reared. There needs to be a suspension. Maybe something we continue to see more 
often in the future here with the <laughs> suspensions happening that we've seen? I don't know. Are we entering the tattletale era of NASCAR teams, drivers, owners? I like. I personally, Richard. Uh, yeah. Oh wait. I, well, I, well, I, I guess I'll do the talking on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I just like I. It was it was minutes after the race. I think I tweeted because I saw a quote from Richard Childress that was like, "You know, that was purely intentional." And da da da. Now it's like I just quote tweeted and was like, "And so it begins." We're just gonna tattletale now. And NASCAR opened this can of worms, I guess. I don't, mm. you know, we're, we're, we are not far from policing driver conduct. We are policing driver conduct, but we are on our way to driver regulations. Ooh, scary. Let's go. We'll see. We'll Let's see. Bring it on. <laughs> but 10 years from now, it'll be unrecognizable. It'll be, that was an aggressive move and. Or they'll throw a caution just to send someone to the back. <laughs> uh, the Formula One five-second penalties for the uh, you know, five-second penalty yeah. contact for contact. Yeah. Breaking news, by I'm the way. And I'm just imagining Mike Joy explaining to the to the viewer that a restart is under review for driver conduct. <laughs> Breaking news in stuff that would only be written in 2023, uh, up there with AI and and. You know, VR. <laughs> Kyle Bush has his own vape, Kyle Cush. I just had to put that one out there. The winner of this weekend's cup race, three time winner this year for RCR, has his own vape. Look forward for, look, go and get yourself Kyle Cush. <laughs> Love that. That's I wonder if funny. Kyle Cush is any good. <laughs> Somebody tested up there. Well, actually, you know what? If you're over 18, I allowed to ask that. I don't know. I don't think we're probably on thin ice right now, uh, regulatorily wise. Or, uh, <laughs> we should know, probably something. stop recording. We should probably move on. Uh, anyway, we're going to Sonoma Kyle next. On your Kyle yeah, that's awesome. We're going to Sonoma next in NASCAR, and this weekend, as we discussed, is the 91st running, or also the sedentary running of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Can't wait. Going to be fun. Uh, Xfinity and Sonoma. I'm ready to go. So, any. Words of wisdom before we cut and this off. No, I'm I'm excited for Xfinity and Sonoma, and maybe by the hundredth edition of Le Mans, you'll be able to figure out whether it's centenary or centennial <laughs> or whatever, however to say it. So we got Perfect. another nine of them to figure it out, and we'll be racing in it, probably at that point. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. We're out of here. Uh, Thanks for listening. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to The Money Lap. Please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice. And be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every Tuesday and Thursday. And you know what? We love bringing you all this content for free. So what do we ask for? Simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong. If you want to leave us those sorts of opinions, please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.